The advice and opinions expressed by the host of Autism Live and her guests are meant solely as suggestion and should not be in any way construed as child-specific advice. The Center for Autism and Related Disorders advises working with a board-certified behavior analyst who has experience with autism before starting any intensive behavioral intervention. Any choices you make in determining your child's treatment are completely at your own discretion. Welcome to Autism Live. I'm Shannon Penrod. We're coming to you live this morning. I know sometimes we're playing recordings and if you say that, it's like, well, but it's not live right now. So I always like to tell you the date. Today is July 29th, 2021. And uh, we are just bumping right up against August here, aren't we? Uh, And it's been summer and we've been here and then we've been off for a few days and we've been here and we've been off for a few days and, you know, I think it's just par for the course. There's been a lot going on, but we're here today and we're going to be with you for the next hour talking about autism from a 360 degree perspective. I'm Shannon Penrod. I'm not an expert in autism and I like to be very upfront about that. We have experts on the show almost daily and we are having one on today, Uh, but uh, she has a particular uh, expertise in autism and that's special education law. Bonnie Yates will be with us in just a few minutes, but uh, I always like to remind you that while we have lots of experts on the show, I'm not one of them. I My credential for being here is that, first of all, I care about all of you, and we'll talk about who all of you are in just a second. Um, I, you know, I have some credentials. It's not that I'm completely uh, with nothing. But, you know, I am a former educator. I was a college professor and then uh, taught uh, in the public school system for a while after 9-11, and then I became a mom. And I have a son who was diagnosed with autism at the age of two and a half. Now, that does not make me an expert in autism. Uh, It means that I've got a lot of experience on the ground. And and I certainly was one of those, like so many of you, uh, I was one of those parents who wanted to be in the front row seat of learning about what autism was. And eventually, I began hosting shows about autism, been doing that for well over a decade now. Uh, And... In the course of doing that, I interviewed a lot of people. So I like to say that I have an informed opinion, not an expert, though. Just want to be clear about that. I do have letters after my name, but they have nothing to do with autism. They have everything to do with theater. So there you go. Uh, That's what that is. But I also care deeply and feel, like many of you, a responsibility to give back. When you learn something, you turn around and share it with somebody else so that more people can learn, right? I think that's a that's a thing. It's a helpful thing. Uh, and I certainly feel like that's part of my mission in being here. We want to provide information and inspiration to all of you who are listening. I promised we would talk about who the you is. We hope that the you is the world. We recognize that, first of all, we want to make sure that when, since we're talking about autism, and you know, there's a wonderful, wonderful, I think, baseline edict, which is nothing about us without us. So first of all, we want to say that for individuals who are on the autism spectrum themselves, who have the actual diagnosis, we welcome you here to be a you know, not only a part of the conversation, but to steer the conversation, right? Um, and and to check in with us uh, and tell us what's going on for you and what you need. That's, that's the beating heart of everything that we do. But we also here on this show like to include absolutely everyone who loves those individuals. That's why I say eventually we hope we're talking to the world because it should be the world, right? Um, and, you know, we're not going to agree on everything ever, that's just not going to happen. We don't have an expectation that that's going to happen. But but I do think that the one thing that we can agree on is that individuals on the autism spectrum deserve respect, the ability to work, love, play where and with whom they would like to. Yeah. Um, and so that can be a rallying point for all of us, recognizing that this is a big, beautiful community that has many different viewpoints and that we should celebrate that. We should celebrate the diversity of the autism 
larger community. That's everyone on the spectrum and the people who love them. So uh, we're live right now on many different platforms. We hope that you will write in and participate with us. Traven is showing you some of the ways that you can participate. Right now we're live on Facebook Live. We're live on YouTube. We're live on Twitter. And we're live on our homepage, which is autism-live.com. Now, if you're on any of those, especially Twitter, Facebook Live, and YouTube, all you have to do is write in on the format that you're you're watching. Just you know, write in, say hi, tell us where you're watching from, tell us what you, you know, what particular thing you're interested in. If we can't address it in this show, we'll keep it in mind for future shows, right? Uh, And if you're on our homepage, autism-live.com, you can write in on that page as well. In fact, in just a second here, I'll make sure that I open up that window. I got a new monitor. So when you guys see me looking over here, I haven't like, you know, cause we've been doing this from home for over a year now, but I've made a trip into the office and I, I came back with a monitor and I've been thinking that I'm going blind and I probably, you know, old age. Um, but then I got, cause I just am on this little itty bitty laptop and then I brought the monitor and I'm like, Oh my gosh, is that what my desktop looks like? It's insane how much bigger it is. I can't even, I'm so excited. Uh, I might actually be able to read your comments now. Uh, there we go. Because you know the thing, these are not real glasses. I'm just, I'm giving all away all of my secrets. Look at the bags under my eyes and we cover them up. Yes. Uh, isn't that it's a nice little magic trick? Uh, <laughs> but they don't help me to see. And heaven knows I probably need a magnifying glass now to see. I'm becoming doddering. Okay, so if you write into autism-live.com, I'll make sure that I bring that up so that we can be talking to you in real time too. But I also want to stress that that particular chat is not interactive. You can send us the message, we can get it, and then I can talk to you in this way, we can interact in that way, but I can't write back to you from that format. So if you're writing in on that format and you're writing in about a show that you saw before, and it really is the best way to... to communicate with us if you're watching the show and you're watching a podcast version of it, right? Make sure that you reference which show it was, either the day, um, so that I know where to go look for the answer to your question. Yeah. And uh, I mentioned podcasts. We are a podcast. We uh, are a free download wherever you get your podcasts. We are the number one rated autism podcast in the world right now, thanks to you. That's because you guys liked us, you shared, you watched, you, you know, tagged other people, you encouraged other people to watch and look at all the other places that Trayvon is showing you that were available. So we, we understand that everybody doesn't consume their information in the same way. We hope that we're all the places now that you might look for us. But if there's something missing, if you're like, oh, geez, Shannon, I just wish your Autism Live podcast was on blah, blah, blah. Tell us what blah, blah, blah is because Trayvon, Trayvon really likes to know that stuff. He's just so on it. We're so lucky to have Traven. Uh, and he'll look it up. He'll see if that's a possibility for us to be there as well. We do have one requirement, and that is that we really prefer greatly to be places where you don't have to pay anything to consume our information. There are lots of places that you can go to pay to get information, and we, we're not saying that there's anything wrong with those places, but I don't know about you, when I was in the thick of intervention with my child, I needed something that was free. I could not afford anything extra, and so Part of our mission has been to keep it free for you guys. Holding on to that for over 10 years. Hey, Tony says, hi, I'm from Jamaica. I want info on how to assist a nonverbal child who shows signs of being on the spectrum, but hasn't been diagnosed yet, uh, yet to communicate his needs and wants. And Tony, how old is this child that is nonverbal? And when you say nonverbal, are they making sounds at all? Um, are they purposeful sounds or just sounds? Those are good things to know because nonverbal when it's people like us that, that don't have degrees in psychology after our name mean, mean different things than for people who have, because nonverbal is a very, very specific thing. So um, tell us a little bit about this child, how old, and if there are purposeful sounds, are they pointing? Do they use any other types of communication? Are they signing? Because the answer will depend on some of those things. I will tell you while we're waiting for you to write back to us that um, ABA is the number one thing. ABA is the number one thing. And I know I just lost a bunch of people. They're like, what? Um, you know, what about this and what about that? And what about speech and what about OT and all of those? Listen, I'm not saying anything negative against anything, 
But I'm telling you that if you want to gain speech in a child and you suspect that autism might be a part of it, that ABA has been found to be the single most effective thing if you're getting good quality ABA in the right amount. And that the right amount is different for each and every child, but certainly if we're in certain age ranges, we can we can pretty much talk about what the ranges are, right? Um, and ABA has been found to be more effective than just doing speech. ABA has been found to be just more effective than just doing OT. ABA has been found to be more effective than just doing speech OT in a school. How about that? Um, so you know, it, it's, and it's certainly been found to be more effective than any other intervention that you guys might bring up to me. Sunrise, floor time, you know, if we're trying to gain speech, it's much more effective. Okay. So he's four years old. He makes a lot of humming and he mumbles a lot. This is actually good. Uh, and makes sounds that sound like he's trying to speak words. Okay. That's good because he's making the attempt. So, um, what we want to do is get very specific with this child and begin to teach him. I mean, at four, I really want you to be working with a board certified behavior analyst. That's my dream. And that you get good quality ABA and that they can be designing the whole program for you. That's really the dream. And I would bet you, Tony, that they have that in Jamaica. Um, and, and I would encourage you to look for that. Um, but I can tell you that um, the whole principle of ABA is that we take behavior and we shape it into behavior that we want to see more of. There's some behaviors we want to see more of, and there's some behaviors we want to see less of. So we make it rewarding for the individual, and this is for everybody, whether it's a child on the spectrum or an adult not on the spectrum and anything in between, we make it more rewarding for them to do the behaviors that we want to see more of. So, um, you know, one of the things that they start with a lot for kids, but this is not one size fits all, but a lot of kids love bubbles. They just love bubbles. And here's what I love about starting with bubbles, because if kids love them, and it has to be a kiddo who loves bubbles, they're also inexpensive. And it's really hard to mess this up. But I've seen lots of therapists who will sit down with a kiddo who loves bubbles and you've got the 49 cent jug of bubbles, right? And the therapist, you know, takes out the bubbles and they, and blow bubbles and you play with the child and you enjoy and you see like, does the child like it when lots of bubbles come out or just one big bubble, right? So you play for a little while and get to know the child, but then the therapist starts to be very deliberate and they'll go, bah, bah, bubbles, and then they blow, right? And they do this a bunch of times and they play, 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 right? So that the child builds this expectation that, you know, I want the bubbles. I really want the bubbles. And the therapist, you know, it's like this almost like building the anticipation, bah, 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 bubbles. And we blow the bubbles all over the room and we play and it's so much fun and we laugh and it's just, you know, and as long as it's super rewarding for the kiddo, we keep, you know, doing that bah, bah, bubbles, what you will see is that a lot of times the kiddos without doing anything else, like sometimes the therapist will just pause for a second after they've done this maybe a hundred times and you see the child going, because they're wanting the bubbles. And so they're mimicking, oh, this is so good when this happens. If not, we kind of prompt them to, can you, can you do fish lips? Can you, you know, and we see them, you know, and we're, we're waiting to get the bubbles. And maybe if they just go, we bubbles and we throw the bubbles everywhere, right? So we're making the movement first, but eventually the therapist in tune with the child and each child is different, right? Says, you know, say, bah, bah. And we get the child to say, bah. And every time they say, bah, big bubbles, the way they like them, right? And then eventually it's, we get them to say, bah, bah, right? Big bubbles, right? You get all the roids. This might take two weeks, of hour upon hour of, and the child has to be enjoying it. If sometime they get bored with the bubbles, we move on to something else, right? But a lot of times our kiddos love this and this is how they shape. So eventually they know when they go, buh, you know, they're going to get the bubbles. And when they do bubba, they're going to get the bubbles. And then, you know, they say, eventually they say bubbles and they say more bubbles and they say more bubbles, please. Right. And we're building the sentence. And in between they'll start to, you know, they won't wait and just get the bubbles to work on something else. They'll go find other things. Like maybe they like Buzz Lightyear, same sound, different thing, right? Different reinforcer. So we, you know, we get Buzz to do different things and bu bu buzz, 
right? Get them to, and, and it might be that in the beginning, we're just working on getting the buh sound, but what we're doing is linking in their brain. I say, buh, everybody is thrilled and I get what I want. This is fantastic. It's easy for me to say, buh, and I want buzz and it's easier than throwing a tantrum, right? And they build, build, build. This takes so many hours. This takes so many hours. And if there's one thing I could say to caregivers is that when somebody comes to you and says, we need your child to do a 40 hour a week program of intensive ABA. And, and I know, cause I, this happened to me. You immediately go, no, my child's three, my child's four. That's a full-time job. When are they going to have time to play? That's too much, right? Except it isn't. It's exactly the prescription. You really want to be in a minimum of 40 hours. And not only that, you want trained people working with them 40 hours and you want to do what the trained people are doing the rest of the hours. Every single waking moment has to be what? An enriched learning environment where they're getting what they want as they are doing these behaviors that are helping them to grow and stretch. So, and families will say to me all the time, but they need time to play. If you've got a good ABA therapist, they are playing because they're playing with the bubbles, they're playing with Buzz Lightyear, and they're taking breaks from when they're expected to do something and doing things that are fun. My kid had more fun than any 12 kids because he had good ABA therapy. And people say, but we don't have any family time. That's because you're thinking of this wrong. You're thinking you're not involved in it. You better get in there. Say to the therapist, show me how to do it. Show my significant other how to do it. And then that this is how we build language. But right now at four, their, their little brain is, is really plastic right now. It's moldable. It can learn more things right now. This is why sometimes they say, you know, teach kids four languages when they're young because they can soak it in. But he, he's not quite sure what works yet. So give this to him. Uh, okay. So to communicate, Tony went on to say, and I, because I'm on the other monitor, I'm wonky here. Um why won't it show me that, Draven? It's not, here we go. To communicate, he will either take you by the hand and bring you to what he wants or he'll take you to it. Okay, that's not horrible. Um, okay, we're getting a little bit of feedback. Yes, there is a fan in the room. Uh, so it's not horrible that he, that, that's a good thing that he takes you by the hand and brings you to it. But when he brings you to something, make sure that you're languaging it right now. So if, you know, if he comes over and he takes you by the hand and you go, oh, do you want something? You know, what do you want? And then he takes you over and he leads you to the counter and you can be a little bit like, you know, play possum and go, oh, do you, do you want the phone when you know he wants the cookies, right? So he has to point to the cookies. That's communication. That's good. And get him and then go, oh, you want the cookie? Cookie? Do you want the cookie? Can you say cook? And then, you know, he might be like, "Mm, I want it. Right. Um, But don't you get flustered. Um, You just want to set the parameters in a place where he can do it. If he can say cook, then have him say cook and he gets the cookie and then he'll say more often. Right. And eventually we shape that into cookie. Uh, if you see that k is not a sound that he can do, don't set that expectation because we'll work on that separately when it's not tied to the thing that he's dying to have, you know? So all of this can be shaped and it, and people do this on a regular basis. Please do this while he's four because the more he can't communicate, the more challenging behavior you're going to get. He's going to throw a tantrum and to get what he wants because if that works, why wouldn't you? If I could get you to do my taxes by throwing a tantrum, I would throw a tantrum every tax season, right? I mean, that just stands to reason. So yeah, I I think he's got some good skills, Tony. I think he can point. Um, I think he can, he knows to lead you over to that. That's communication, right? Um, What you'll want to make sure that you talk to um, people about, look out for somebody to tell you if he has apraxia. We see apraxia is when even though they want to say the words, their mouth can't do it. It's very frustrating for a person. We see great success. Even in the last five years, there have been huge breakthroughs with apraxia. Don't give up. If your child has been diagnosed with apraxia and they told you to give up, don't. Um, But don't be afraid to use assistive uh, technology because everybody has to have a way to communicate that's efficient 
and people who don't will be frustrated. You doubt me, take the challenge, go around for the next 24 hours and don't speak once and see how you get your needs met and see if you don't reach for a piece of paper and write something down or your phone to text something to somebody because you'll be like, oh, that'll at least work since I can't speak. We need to make sure that we are being kind to individuals who don't have the ability today, maybe, you know, to, you know, today is one thing, maybe not, you know, forever, but today they don't have the ability to vocally tell you what you want. So we give them an iPad or something else or a phone to text. We see this with some of our teens and adults. Um, Good morning, Nasser. So, um, Tony, feel free to ask more questions, especially when we have our ABA experts that are here, but look and see what there is for ABA in uh, Jamaica. Um, how bad is our feedback? Excuse me, one second. We're going to turn off. I don't know that I've ever done that before. I had to get up in the middle of a show. Let's turn off the fan and see if that helps with the feedback. I hope it's not the monitor, Traven. <laughs> This is the first time we're doing the show with the monitor. Anyway, uh, let me know. I've turned off the fan now. Uh, so we, I, I, I got sidewinded by a, a question, which is always a good thing. Thank you, Tony, for writing in the question. But I want to remind all of you, that's how you communicate with us here. Write in right now. Let us know what we can do. Um, and again, I'm not an expert, but I'm happy to give you my informed opinion and I'll find you an expert. How's that? All right, moving on. We always like to start Thursdays because we, we, got, we got Bonnie in five minutes. All right, we got to breeze through this. We always like to start on Thursdays with something we fondly refer to as the jargon of the day. This is when we take on one word, one phrase, one acronym. We try to figure out what in the hey, nani, nani are the experts talking about? What does this have to do with us? How... Oh, you know, like how much time do we have to spend on this? But at the bottom of it, I only share jargon with you that I think is going to save you time, money, and energy. So, and get you to better progress. So I love today's. It's the thing that is most misunderstood, I think, among everyone that doesn't have letters after their name having to do with autism. And that's escape, maintain behavior. Um, you and I do this all the time. We are very familiar with this. We, you and I know it very well. We, In fact, we were just talking about it. In a sense. So first, we're going to give you our actual definition. Then when possible, I make fun of it. Then we move on to a working definition. And then I try to give you an example that will help you to know, all right, how does this apply to me? So let's go ahead. Let's jump in here, Traven. Our actual definition for escape maintained behavior is behavior that is maintained by the ability to escape. Well, I, you know, this makes it so crystalline clear uh, don't you love that? Let's just rearrange the words in the <laughs> in the name of it, and that'll give us the definition. That works for me. Okay, so at, and I've looked this up, and this is actually what the definition was: behavior that is maintained by the oh, <laughs> just craziness. All right, so let's let's tear this apart. What's our working definition here? Things we do to get out of doing something. So if like, think about the people that you know and how they do this all the time. Like, this can be a child that you say, okay, it's bath time. And they go, you know, they run over and maybe they've learned, oh, the thing that I do is that I go over and I give mommy a big hug and I say, read books uh, because they don't want to take the bath. So maybe that's one way of doing it. But another child runs out the door and down the street, Right because they don't want to take the bath. My son, the biggest gate maintained behavior that he had was he didn't want to do homework. If he was at school all day and he came home, he did not want to do homework. Can anybody blame him? So he learned that if he dropped his pencil while he was writing, doing his homework, that he could get down on the floor to get the pencil. And then he could probably find something else to do on the floor and, you know, be down there for at least a minute and a half before I was like, Hey, get back up here and do your homework. Right. So he learned, Oh, I want to break. All I have to do is drop my pencil on the floor. Um, and that worked for him, except it didn't work for the homework. And it wasn't really working for him because then instead of taking 15 minutes to do the homework, it would be three hours, right? But what do you do that's escape maintained behavior? Oh my gosh, what don't I do? I play a game on my phone. I, you know, get on social media, which is 
not always a bad thing, right? But if I, I'm like, oh, I don't really want to do the dishes in the sink. So I'll go see what's on TV or I'll eat something or, you know, fill in the blank because I don't want to do the thing that's directly in front of me. It's human behavior. And if the thing gets me out of doing the thing that I don't want to do for even a second, then it worked. And I put that into my repertoire, into the backpack that I carry with me through life going, if I don't like something, if I don't want to do it, then I'll go do X, Y, or Z. And this is how we get into negative behavior patterns. We all do this. There's not a single human being, Mother Teresa engaged in escape maintained behavior. I don't know what hers was. Um, for all like, and sometimes it can be a positive thing, right? Maybe hers was prayer that when she felt overwhelmed or didn't want to do something, she would stop, breathe and pray or meditate, right? Those are great ways to engage in escaping from something that you don't want to do. So there are productive ways to do this and there are non-productive ways of doing this, but it's things that we do to get out of doing something. Uh, we all do it, but what do you do to deal with escape maintain behavior when it's a child and they're trying to escape something that's good for them? Let's say you need to give your child medicine and they don't want to do it and they will engage in everything under the sun to not take the medicine, right? They'll, they'll spit the pill out. They'll throw up. My gosh, we've seen that kids who don't want to eat a green bean and will make themselves throw up because they don't want to eat the green bean. And there are some things in life that like, it's important that, you know, for instance, uh, you know, if the child needs an IV and they start hitting people because I don't want the IV. So I'm going to hit people so I can escape. And it's working because every, you know, I hit somebody and now they scramble to pick up the equipment and everything. And I got out of it for another minute. Really important that you realize that if, if you escape something and it, for a second, then that means it worked. And I might engage in that behavior again, since it worked for even a second. So what do we do um, to combat escape, maintain behavior? Well, the biggest thing that we do is don't, well, two things. On the, on the one side, we have to teach people appropriate ways to escape things, right? So we teach leisure skills and meditation and things like that to help them to escape, you know, to escape when they need to. But then we have to give them the communication skill to ask for that. That's critical. If we aren't teaching that, then we're not doing the full job, right? But then on the other side of it, we have to present a consequence that when it really needs to happen, we need to not give them the paycheck of being able to escape from it, right? So um, for my son, perfect example of him, you know, with the pencil, dropping the pencil on the floor, and we had our ABA team come in and look at it. I was like, I, you know, I, I don't know what to do about this because he's spending, you know, we're, we're here till eight o'clock at night trying to do homework. We can't even have dinner because he's underneath the table and it's just driving me, you know, crazy. And they were like, well, okay, what we need you to do is go buy a bunch of pencils, sharpen them all, have a big cup of pencils ready. The therapist is coming over. We're going to put an intervention in place where we don't, we're going to teach him. If you want a break, you have to ask for a break. We did all that. But now we're, he's going to get the break and we're going to say, okay, but now you got to do the homework. You had your break. Now you got to do it. And we have to take away the reward of getting the break when it's not appropriate. So that meant that even if he dropped the pencil on the floor, you know, one of us had to put a pencil back in his hand. I, so I would put the pencil back, a new pencil back in his hand. And the therapist would very gently, not, you know, horribly have, have her hand on his hand and continue writing, uh, leading his hand, continuing writing. And he, the first time we did it, he was so confused. He was like, what's happening? And he really didn't like it. Because if what you want is a break and nobody gets you, you don't get your paycheck, you are not happy about it. Um, but he quickly learned that it was going to happen no matter what he did. This homework was happening no matter what he did. And homework was not painful. We had tons of reinforcers for him, things that he didn't normally have. 
uh, my friend who gives her kids Kool-Aid, the only time she gives them Kool-Aid is uh, during homework time. We had every single reinforcer that we could imagine as long as he kept doing the homework, you know, like he would, they would, and we gave breaks so the therapist would finish him writing something and he was very, and we'd be like, yay, you did it, have some Kool-Aid. So it became more reinforcing for him to do it than to not do it. And we kept reinforcing that when he wanted a break, that he could take a break. So skate maintain behavior, we all do it. Sometimes it's productive. There's a time and a place for it. But when our kids are involved in escape maintained behavior, we need to have real expert support who will help us to turn the equation around. Or your kids will engage in increasingly more, you know, detrimental, more challenging, potentially harmful behavior to escape the thing that they're trying to escape. So we we teach them effective ways of, of being able to escape that are productive. We teach them how to ask for breaks, but we take away the, the reward of escaping if they're engaging in challenging behavior. It's tough. I wouldn't recommend you do this without an expert, um, but it absolutely works. It's pretty fantastic. Okay, moving on to our question of the day, because Bonnie's waiting. We're going to breeze through this really fast. Our question today is, what do you do to get out of the things that you hate? I listed a bunch of mine right into us. What is your escape maintain behavior? I, my goodness, like, like the stupid games that I play on my phone, if I would stop doing that and write instead, I could write war and peace. But I need a break too, you know? So, but what do you do to get out of doing the things that you hate? Write in and tell us right now. And tell us the productive things that you do. You don't have to necessarily tell on yourself and say the non-productive things that you do, but let us know. And then we always have a topic of the week. And our topic this week is the four usual suspects. Why do we do, why do we engage in challenging behavior? And there's four, what we do things, all of us, you and I, and individuals who are on the autism spectrum, same thing. We all engage in challenging behavior for the four main usual things because of attention, because we want to escape something, which we just talked about, because we want to gain access to someone or something, or because it feels good. Those are the four reasons. That's why we do the things we do. There is an asterisk uh, sometime uh, sometimes we do things for control because we don't feel like we have control. So we will behave in a way to get control. That one is less often and certainly not in little kids. Yeah. Um, so those are the four usual suspects. If you're doing something that you're like, why do I do that? Ask yourself, which one of those four things are you trying to get? And remember, it could be a combo platter of any of them. It could be all of them in one, right? Uh, okay. So having said all of that, we're so excited to welcome back to the show the fabulous Bonnie Yates. She is a special education attorney with Tolner Law Offices. She's an amazing, amazing advocate for our kiddos, and we're thrilled that she is here with us today. Bonnie, good morning. Hey, Shannon. Hi. Interesting topic. Interesting topic. I'm good. Good. Waiting for the humidity to break with a little rain. Yeah. I said we're cresting into August and, and just when we're like, oh, I've had enough and we're about to come into the hottest month. Uh, of uh, all. So- yeah, I know. It's challenging. It's a challenging, it it's a challenging thing to manage. Um, so I work for Toner Law Offices. We are a 10 attorney firm and we specialize in, in all of the disabilities, special education, regional center, Remedies for disabled adults. What else do we do? Uh, we we uh, we seem to keep ourselves very busy helping parents with their disputes with public school districts. And here on Autism Live, we have an opportunity to interact with you in a different way and to try to inform you generally about your special education rights, because you will inevitably interact with the public school district, even if you have a lawyer for your child's entire career in special education. Um, We do recommend if you have a specific problem that you not substitute anything on this program for a a real consultation, um, focusing on your specific issues with an attorney who's knowledgeable about this area of the law. If you're in California or Arizona, we can help you with that. If you're not, I usually direct people to COPA, C-O-P-A-A dot net. 
which is a national special ed attorney organization. You should be able to find several attorneys in your state, call them up. Most of them will let you have a free consultation, see who you resonate with, get some information, um, do it. You know, it, it just, it's, it's, it's worth it. Um, and don't be intimidated. Just do it. It's just pretend you're calling a doctor to help your kid get better. You would do that. Um, today, we're, we're in the doldrums. The doldrums is a very special time period between after the end of ESY and before school starts. And it's a time period where in California, the Special Education Hearing Office still does hearings, but it becomes increasingly difficult to get anything done with school districts because so many people are out on vacation. Um, so the doldrums is a little breath of hot air, warm air, whatever, very hot air, uh, before school starts again. So it, it behooves us to start thinking about your child's return to school, um, shrouded in uncertainty, though it may be at the moment. And so one thing I wanted to talk about to everybody that I haven't ever done on this show is what a statute of limitations is and why a statute of limitations is important. Okay, so in... Um, constructing a legal system in, in this country, um, there was a fairness notion that somebody should not have to um, wait indefinitely to um, be able to no longer worry about accusations that they might face if they've broken the law. Now, you might say, well, that's not fair if it's a guilty person, but let's say it's an innocent person. So the statute of limitations is intended to make it fair. The statute of limitations is intended to define a period of time during which somebody can charge you with a, a crime or a civil offense. And after that time period is over, uh, you can't charge the person anymore. The flip side of that, by the way, is in every case you have a statute of limitations, you also have a defined period of time during which you know you can bring suit against somebody. So let's take a, a civil wrong. We'll start out with a civil wrong. Uh, let's say failure to pay a bill that you owe a professional. Okay, that's that's basically called failure to pay an open book account. And the statute of limitations on collection is four years. Okay, fraud from the U.S. government. Uh, no statute of limitations. Murder, often, usually no statute of limitations. You've seen with the child abuse cases in this country, there's been a lot of discussion about what the statute of limitations is, if it's fair, should it be told, how should it be redefined. Um, but for, for special education in California, you have two years from the date that the district um, should have done or refuse to do anything pertaining to the uh, identification, assessment, and uh, offer of, of FAPE to a child. So you basically know that any assessment that you have, you have up to two years to dispute it in California, and any IEP that you have, you have up to two years to dispute that. So why does that matter to you? It matters to you because you want to know when you think about your child's special education case that as bad as the history might be, you're only going to be able to go back the last two years. Conversely, if a district offers to settle with you, you want to settle for the, the longest time period possible and the longest period um, during which there are violations. So you want to be able to go back and look and see when that IEP is. And then we get into things like exceptions to the statute of limitations. And, and, and one would be if a school district, you know, knowingly provides you with false information suggesting that, you know, that, that the problem is solved. That would be one. There are, there are other exceptions to the statute of limitations. And statutes of limitations exceptions are also referred to as tolling. Tolling is a period of time during which the statute of limitations is suspended. And sometimes for minors, Certain statutes of limitations, let's say personal injury claims against a government entity in California, are told. But in our case, we're not really focusing on that so much. What I want you to know is if you want to attack any district assessment to get an outside evaluation, you have one year and 364 days to challenge it. If you have an IEP and you think it's unfair, same amount of time. So what happens if you have an IEP December one? 
let's take a better day. Today, what is today? Today's July 29th, 2021. So let's say you have an IEP dated July 20. Uh, I'm going to do this wrong. I'm going to do this wrong. If you have an IEP that's two years old, so if your IEP today is from July 29th, 2019, if that date passes, can you file a complaint to attack the offer of FAPE? In California, the answer to that is no. However, there's another basis for attacking that IEP. And what I mean by attacking is if the IEP offer was was uh, August, sorry, July 29th, 2019, and that IEP continued to be implemented for uh, several months afterwards, you could attack the time period that was less than two years old by saying that the district should have known at that point in time that the uh, that the FAPE offer wasn't working for the student and they should have convened a new IEP um, to address the problems. You can also you can also um, make that argument if it's fraud if you think the district is engaged in fraud or some kind of um, deceit or deception. Um, but what you can't do is you can't challenge an IEP on its face. You can't challenge the FAPE offer as a as a continuing uh, violation. So, um, anyway, I have a ton um, of questions. Is this a good okay, time? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so let's say that the, it was August 1st, 2019 that your IEP was, and you go in today and you filed due process. Now I'm within the, I'm within the two year time period and I filed due process, but yeah. now we're, we're going to hash it out in due process. And that's going to be outside the time. Once, period. No, that's no, no, no. Once you filed that establishes the date. Okay. That's the date. That's the relation back date. So if you okay. file August 1st, 2019 IEP, you file that on August uh, 1st, 2021, uh, that, Holds the run of the statute of limitations. Okay. But uh, now switching to another scenario. So let's say that I did my IEP today and they, they said what their offer of faith is. And I said, I disagree. Um, and, and, but I, so I have two years to file due process on it, but what happens to the kiddo in between? If you don't sign your IEP, they don't implement it. So it reverts back to the last signed one, right? Correct. Correct. But generally what we recommend people do if they're able, and it depends on the facts of your case, is if you want parts of the IEP implemented, you can file a partial consent. If you don't think the IEP is fake, but you want the whole thing implemented, you should sign the IEP and consent to everything, but do so under reservation of rights, meaning you you indicate that you don't think the IEP is fake. Where you can't sign the IEP is if you aren't going to stay in, in public school, right? You can't sign the IEP if you're going to remove the student to a private placement. Um, but what you don't want to have is you don't want to have an unsigned IEP with no direction to the district because they can use that against you later. Yeah. Um, so, you know, well, uh, well, and let me say one more thing about it. Sometimes districts implement IEPs even when they don't have consent. Yeah. But they're not supposed to. Yeah. Um, but let's say that, uh, you know, I do the IEP tomorrow and I sign off on it and I go, okay, great. Um, but I, but you know, now it's next summer and I look back and I go, you know, I don't think we really, first of all, I don't think that the, the goals worked and I don't think that they implemented them properly. You know, if you don't think the goals work, then your argument would be the district should have held an IEP to address the fact that he wasn't making progress. If the district fails to implement your IEP, you can go back and raise that issue. Okay. You can raise, you can raise a failure to implement. But if, if at the end of the year and I signed off on the IEP and they did, they implemented fine, but the goals we now with hindsight is 2020 and we go, these goals weren't effective and here's why I, I can't, can I file due process again and, and ask for comp ed at that point? Because I you agree can file for due process. You can, well, first of all, you shouldn't be looking at goals two years after the fact, you should be looking at them manually. But if you if your contention is that the goals were inappropriate, you can't say that that IEP that's more than two years old didn't offer FAPE at the time the offer was made. But what you can say 
Is it when the district did periodic goal progress reporting and they saw he wasn't meeting his goals or most of his goals? That should have caused him to convene a new IEP at that time. And that's how you raise the issue. I think that's really one of the most valuable things, Bonnie, that I've heard you say, because I think a lot of us get terrified we go to the IEP and I'm a former teacher. And sometimes I didn't know, I was like, is this the appropriate goal? Is this not the appropriate yeah. goal? You, you finally sign off on something and you're like this, you're like, I hope it works. You yeah. get to the end of the year, it didn't work. And you feel like it was your fault and that you well, have. I don't know about, I don't know. That's adding a whole nother level um, to it, which isn't very, what is it? Somebody said, how would you treat yourself? if you were loving and kind toward yourself, that's in that category. Yeah. But, but what I see with goals is the way districts want to write them when, when the parent is unrepresented is they want squishy goals yeah. that are, that are manipulable so that when you get to the end of that year, they can claim progress. So I do a lot of, you know, going back and saying what, what, le- gra- what grade level text is this that he'll, he'll be reading from? How many prompts is he going to have? Are they physical? Are they verbal? Are they gestural? Um, how is it, you know, what is the percentage of opportunities? How many times are you going to measure it? Because because that's what seems to be required a lot of the time. Um, maybe we've never done a show on goals. Maybe Maybe we should do one. I feel like we have, but it's so... Because you, you know, when you talked a lot, well, maybe that was about accommodations because we did the whole thing where you read us what the the dyslexia accommodations were, which a lot of them transfer. But maybe we haven't done a one, one on goals, Bonnie. Maybe we well, should. We, we, we can. And what I would say about goals is you have to look at the new standard as, a, as articulated by the Supreme Court in Andrew F., right? Because the goals have to be appropriately ambitious, measurable, and so on. And then we could actually just, you know... Uh, we'd have to come up with some real life goals that we could chip away at and I could show you how they're bad. But it's, you know, it's always kind of, um, it's an uphill battle with the district. They they don't want to fix their goals. Um, other things we see them doing, they put too many, you know, different subparts into one goal. You'll probably note that your child's home ABA program has 20 or 50 goals and you have five or six at school. So, I mean, that that's not trivial either. But those are some things um, that we can talk about further. I have some other stuff for you today and you okay, just tell so me we're out of time. You've got about so, nine minutes. From my friends at Special Ed Connection. Okay, this is what they are sending out to you two educators at the beginning of the school year. Three things to keep in mind when allowing IEP team members to serve in dual roles. The IDEA requires a district to ensure that an IEP team for a child with a disability includes one, the parents of a child, two, no less than one general ed teacher of the child if the child is or may be participating in the general ed environment, no less than one special ed teacher of the child or where appropriate, no less than one special ed provider, of the child for a district representative who is one qualified to provide or supervise a provision of specially designated instruction to meet the unique needs of children with disabilities two is knowledgeable about the general ed curriculum and three is knowledgeable about the availability of district resources five an individual who can interpret the instructional instructional implications of evaluation results six at the discretion of the parent or the district other individuals who have knowledge or special expertise regarding the child, including related services personnel as appropriate. Um, Seven, whenever appropriate, the child. Okay, so what this particular article talks about is whether you can have one person wearing more than one hat, okay? It is permissible for schools to have a team member fill more than one role as long as they meet the criteria for that role. However, special education directors who plan to go this route might want to keep the following three things in mind. One, make sure the team member taking on the dual roles meets all requirements. Sometimes districts have the ability to double up the district representative role with another one. Quote, I've certainly seen, this is from a lawyer in um, in Iowa, I've certainly seen schools that want to have the same person fill the role of general ed teacher and district representative. Districts who have the special ed or general ed teacher doubling up need to make sure that person meets the requirements of the district representative. They have to be one. 
qualified to provide or supervise a provision of specially designed instruction to meet the unique needs of the child with disabilities. Two, knowledgeable about the general education curriculum. And three, knowledgeable about the availability of district resources. All three of these requirements of the district representative must be met by the special education or general education teacher who will fill the role. For instance, any teacher who's also filling the role of a district representative needs to have knowledge about the availability of district resources. Quote, if a question about a paraprofessional comes up and the answer is, I don't know, I have to check with the principal, then we probably don't have the right people at the IEP. A special education teacher probably meets the first requirement, which is uh, qualified to provide or supervise uh, the provision of specially designed instruction to meet the unique needs of children with disabilities, but may not be knowledgeable about the general ed curriculum or the availability of district resources. A purely general ed teacher, more often than not, probably won't meet the definition of district representative because he will not have the first requirement, which has you know, special ed knowledge. Um, understand the state law around teacher licensure. The individual who can interpret the instructional implications of evaluation results could potentially be a special ed teacher if she has the right training in the background to do that. Quote, there will probably be in part a question of state law around teacher licensure. What is a teacher certified by the state board to do? Specific state licensure rules say only certain people are able to administer and interpret evaluation results. So an individual can interpret the instructional implications of evaluation results. Sounds like a school psychologist or maybe a social worker, school social worker, depending once again upon the state licensure laws. Quote, I wouldn't recommend having somebody double up if their license doesn't reflect the ability to interpret the instructional implications of evaluation reports. That would be fairly easy for a parent to challenge. And then here's the last point. Ensure the team has more than one school member and one parent. In letter to Anonymous, the Office of Special Education Programs said that even if a district has people filling more than one role on the IEP team, the team should not just be one parent and team member who fulfills all the other roles. Just having a special education teacher and a parent is not permissible or recommended, even if you have a special education teacher who's able to check off all those boxes. Teams need to be thinking about the purpose of the IEP team meeting. The reason we have a team with different backgrounds and skill sets is so we have good, thorough, evidence-based problem solving to help meet the students' needs. Okay, so that's Article 1. Did we lose you? No, no, I'm, I was just muted, uh, but I said, okay, uh, Article 1. So Article that's one. interesting. All right. Okay, Article 2. Article 2. Ten facts every special educator should know about special education law. One, an initial evaluation must be completed by a school district within 60 business days of receiving parental consent for evaluation. Two, under the IDEA, a child with an IEP is not required to be placed in special education classes. Districts must consider a continuum of alternative placements to meet students' needs, ranging from the least restrictive to the most restrictive, instruction in regular classes, special classes, special schools, home instruction, and instruction in hospitals and institutions. That's the LRE continuum. Three, students receiving special education services under the IDEA have the same rights and privileges as students with 504 plans. However, students with 504 plans do not have the same rights and privileges as students with IPs. Students with 504 plans are assured equal access to public education and services, with, and that's why we talk about the 504 statute as being a non-discrimination statute. Four, a child who advances steadily from grade to grade and who does not earn failing grades can be classified as a child with a disability. Generally, districts shouldn't rely on grades alone when weighing if a student's condition adversely impacts his educational performance, especially because of the way they grade and especially because there's no high school exit exam in California anymore. Five, once a student is found eligible for special education and related services, a reevaluation must be completed at least once every three years. Six, students with disabilities are entitled to FAPE that includes access to specialized instruction and related services that provide educational benefit. Seven, there are 13 disabling conditions under the IDEA. Eight, parents have the right to an independent educational evaluation at public expense if they disagree with an evaluation obtained by the district unless the district demonstrates that its own evaluation was appropriate. Uh, nine, the Supreme Court's decision in Andrew F. 
establish the standard that IEPs should meet. A district must offer an IEP that is reasonably calculated to enable a child to make progress appropriate in light of the child's circumstances. The adequacy of the IEP turns on the unique circumstances of the child for whom it was created. 10, child find is the affirmative ongoing obligation of states and local districts to identify, locate, and evaluate all children with disabilities uh, residing within their catchment area who are in need of special education and related services. So that's 10 things that people going into those IEP meetings are supposed to know. Are we out of time? You're I muted, keep, Shannon. Sorry, I keep muting myself and then I talk. Yeah, we're close to being out of time because I have a couple of things in there that I want to point out that, um, like, I almost feel like we should get that laminated and give that to parents um, before. They I'll go. send it to you. I'll send it to you after the show. Yeah, I'd love to because I think you know there's a couple of things in there that where parents get tripped up that the new hot thing that I'm hearing across the board across the country is that uh, schools are coming back and saying to parents, well, your child who now has a diagnosis of autism has been in a regular classroom for four years, like maybe they're nine and they just got diagnosed, whatever, and they're doing fine. So, you know, they don't qualify for an IEP or a 504 because there's no educational benefit for them. You know, they're fine. Well, and, but educational impact includes things other than academic work. And we exactly. discussed that before on the show. Yes. It, it would include social emotional. It would include um, daily living skills. I mean, the yeah. way the way to get at that is to look at a psychoeducational evaluation performed by a school district and look at all the areas that they assess. They wouldn't assess in those areas if they didn't have a duty to address those areas. And 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 the law is settled that 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 the term is not academic impact. But they're trying to do academic impact. And I did a case last year at LAUSD with a student that they came, claimed, you know, because of his grades and his IQ scores, there was no impact, but he skin picked. He was, you know, socially anxious. Um, he had a limited repertoire of interests and, and things that he talked about and wanted to do. Um, it, you know, the, look, when we get to the day where the autism doesn't have the, you know, where autism doesn't have an, an, an impact that affects somebody at school, that's going to be a good day, but we aren't there yet. Yeah, no. And we're not there with almost, you know, I would, I would say 99.9999% of kids with an autism diagnosis. So when I'm hearing 50% of schools saying, oh, that child doesn't need an IEP, even though they have a qualifying diagnosis, it makes me full on nuts. And it okay, makes but, me- but here's the thing about full on nuts. School districts <laughs> are going to make School district attorneys are going to come up with arguments to sell their services to their clients, and they will take positions that are not well-reasoned or thoughtful if they think they can sell them to their clients. And we talked a little bit earlier in the year about how the district was was sending people forms and just, you know, telling them they were disenrolled. That was one example. Um, so, you know, it's it, 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 it is crazy making because because we want them to be better. And we want them to do better. Yes. Um, but a lot of the time, they're, you know, I think because this was originally conceived of as a program for kids with mental retardation, you know, with intellectual disabilities a long time ago, when districts see a kid that's in AP classes, when districts see a kid that has high IQ, when districts see a kid that sits in class and he does his work and he gets straight A's and he doesn't interact with anybody else in that classroom, they think that's great. Yep. Yep. They think you know, we're done here. We don't have anything yeah. to do. That's so yes, I love that list, Bonnie. That was very informative. I think that's good for us all to know. Uh, take a second here and remind people, I, I referred two people to you this week. I don't know if anybody called you, but tell them how to find you at Tolner. Yeah. So my email address, thank you, Shannon, is byates at Tolner, T-O-L-L-N-E-R lawoffices.com. And my phone number is 310-245-1968. If you do reach out to me and you don't hear from me, please, please, please try again. Because sometimes I, I have problems with Outlook Mail. I don't love it. And since we didn't get to it, um, and since the church bells are going off, I'm gonna send you. I'm gonna send you some information that I was gonna discuss, and maybe we'll discuss it next week. Okay. About, about what CDC is saying about mask wearing at school in light oh. of the Delta variant. Let's turn those things. All right. That'd be great. Bonnie, we appreciate you so much. Keep on keeping on the good fight. Thank you. You too, Shannon. Everybody have a good week. We'll see you soon. All right. Bye-bye.
uh, signing off here because it's time, but I want to remind everybody, we're back tomorrow live. Let's Talk Autism with Shannon and Nancy. Nancy won't be here. It'll just be me and Vince Redman, licensed marriage and family therapist, and we'll be doing some in the news, some of it very exciting. So that's all happening tomorrow. We will be here live. Until then, give your kiddos a hug from me and one for you too. Bye-bye for now. This Valentine's Day, Dunkin's got the perfect pairings to show your love. So get down on one knee with a dozen brownie batter donuts and a cocoa mocha signature latte. Or make them swoon with a strawberry dragon fruit Dunkin' refresher with a Cupid's Choice Donut. Are you ready for love? America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer.